Well, today we're going to be talking about the bad boys of the Gospels, Ross. There's this group of of religious leaders in the New Testament that Jesus seemed to always be picking on. They were called the Pharisees, and a lot of people don't fully understand who they were. So in this episode, let's explain this. Who were these guys, Ross, the Pharisees? Yeah, the Pharisees were a, a major religious group of early uh, Jesus' day of Judaism, and they had they were really responding to some issues within Judaism that where things had gone awry. They're trying to preserve or to purify pure Judaism in a culture where you know that was threatened in a lot of different ways. And the the thing about the way that they they sought to do that was to please God through a system of rules. Um, they, they thought that they were going to be right with God and maybe get to heaven by following this long list of religious rules and regulations. And and that's really timely for, for people today, because a lot of our, our listeners are probably going to like, yeah, I like rules. Um, I think I should follow the rules. And we're not saying, you know, don't, don't, not, don't just uh, dump all the rules, but we're saying that as an approach to God, it's really worthwhile looking at how Jesus interacted with these Pharisees and where Jesus pointed toward maybe a, a different approach to what it means to be obedient to God. So they're the bad guys because they, they had this system of religion that they were defending against what Jesus was trying to do and trying to say. So they were always on the other side of the debate with Jesus because his approach did not support their approach. Yeah, there's something about the Pharisees that Jesus, that really rubbed Jesus the wrong way, which I think is instructive for anyone listening today. If you're a part of a religion or a part of a church that is super legalistic, if you're part of a church that is trying to get to God by your good works, by your efforts, by keeping a checklist, by by crossing your T's and dotting your I's, well, then keep listening. Because, you know, whatever Jesus said to the Pharisees 2,000 years ago, and we're going to give some examples here at the end, whatever he said to them 2,000 years ago, I would say he probably would be saying to you today, I mean, I'll let you make, we'll let you make up your own mind about that, but at least I think you should consider because Jesus was so kind and gracious to just about everyone he met, right? He's meeting people caught up in sexual sin. He's he's meeting, you know, uh, tax collectors, people who were extorting the, the Jewish people. He's meeting all of these characters in the New Testament, and he's so gracious, and he's so kind, and he's so invitational. And yet it seemed like oftentimes when he talked to Pharisees, he had some stronger words for them. And so again, I, I don't know, like it's almost like Ross in Jesus's mind that if there were a hierarchy of sins, and we'll get into this, if there were, and I'm not saying there are, if there were, that maybe the, that whatever sin that the Pharisees were caught up in might have been sort of at the top of the list, or at least it was the sin that kept them furthest away from really encountering the, the God of the Bible. Right. And we'll explore that as we, go, as we get into it, understand more about who these people are. Because the, the foundation of the Pharisees, they, they really were, as I said, they're trying to purify Judaism in a time when the Greek influence, Hellenistic influence, was sweeping throughout the, the Middle East, throughout the Palestine area. And they said, we, we need to get back to the law, the Torah. The foundation of Pharisaical rules was the actual law of God that God gave through Moses 
to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And, and the law was important because it reflected God's purposes and his boundaries for his people Israel. You know, Jesus didn't undo the law. He had a, He said there's going to be a different approach to the law going forward. He fulfilled the law, but the law was important. It was an important part of, of the covenant that the Jewish people had with, with God. So in Deuteronomy 6, Moses told them, you must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he has given you. And so, you know, the Ten Commandments is the capsulization of that. But those are just 10 of 600 plus different commandments that were given to the ancient Israelites. So this is the Pharisees wanted to obey the law, but the way they went about it was, was really um, adding to the law. So Ross, explain some terms here. So we will, a lot of times you'll hear the, the term, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the 10 commandments, but, but there's also this word Torah, T-O-R-A-H. What does that refer to when we use that word? Yeah, Torah is a is a Hebrew word that means a way, and it was the word that would be used in the Old Testament to talk about God's law, the overall way of following God. And it means partly the books of the Bible where that law is found, but it also means essentially what that law involves. So it's a sum total of all the law that God gave his people Israel. And then there's another word that you'll, you won't find in the Bible. But certainly Jewish people understand this other word, and it's called the Mishnah, M-I-S-H-N-A-H. What is the Mishnah, and how did that come to be? Yeah, the Mishnah is basically, you could say it's part of the oral law. So there was the written law that's in the Bible, and the Jewish people came to believe in an oral law, which is called Talmud, which um, was a sense of these are the things that God told Moses, but Moses didn't write them down. They got passed down through all the rabbis and so forth. Part of that is the Mishnah, and the Mishnah is additional teaching that is meant to interpret the original law of Moses. And the the intent of of the Mishnah, of these sayings and these sermons and so forth, was to clarify the law, because there's questions like, how does the law of Moses apply in every different situation in life? You know, what does it mean to obey the Sabbath? And we'll talk about that in a second. But, but so the Mishnah was, the, was designed to clarify the law, but instead it ended up adding all kinds of layers and additions of complicated rules and regulations to add to the law of God. So for the Pharisees, they were not just trying to obey the original 600 plus commandments of Moses, but thousands of new commandments that were created to try to clarify the original commandments of Moses that that made it much more detailed and much more specific in in hundreds of different ways. Okay, so let's do the math here. So you've got 10 commandments that God gave Moses on the mountaintop. And those were those are the basics, kind of broken down into the first four are about relationship with God. The last six are about relationship with people. And you can find those in Exodus 20. Uh, that's probably the most famous. Obviously, that's the most famous part of the law, the Mosaic law. But then on top of that, you've got 613 commandments given to the ancient Israelites. And what you're saying is the Mishnah then includes thousands of additional clarifying rules so that a Jewish person would have to try to keep track of all these rules? Right. I mean, the fa- I mean, most Jewish people probably didn't, but the Pharisees did. They were scrupulous about it. 
And, and so I think a good example of that is the laws regarding the Sabbath. Because in the law of Moses, one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day holy. And so that means that Jews were not supposed to work. That's part that's that's spelled out in the actual text of the Old Testament, not to work on the Sabbath day. But it doesn't really explain what that means. You know, what are the boundaries of work? How, how, what can you do that's work and what isn't work? And so to clarify this, the Jewish scholars, the Pharisee types, created 39 separate categories of what work means. And within those 39 categories, there's a lot of subcategories. And so to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there are literally thousands of sub-rules, including like, how many steps can you take? And you take one step more than that, and it's considered work, and you broke the Sabbath day. How many letters can you write on the Sabbath day? And so there's all kinds of detailed explanations. They're meant to be clarifying, because people are asking, how do I keep the Sabbath? But, but what they end up doing is adding this layer upon layer of man-made laws and regulations to the law that God had given. Okay, so by the time Jesus comes along, right? So we've got the, the Torah, which is the written law in the Old Testament, the Mishnah, which is, which is oral tradition on top of all of this, it wasn't, my understanding is the Mishnah wasn't actually written down until about 200 AD. So, so it wasn't even in writing quite yet, but Jesus comes along again. He's, he is God. So he was there when the 10 commandments were written. They were, you could say they were his idea. So he understands the 10 commandments. He understands the purpose, the heart behind the 10 commandments. So by the, by the time he comes along, he starts to rub shoulders with the Pharisees who understand the Torah well, they, they don't understand it, but they, they, they study it. They study the Mishnah, and they're the rule keepers. And they're not just trying to keep the rules perfectly themselves, but they're also trying to enforce these rules on the people of Israel. So what's, where did the Pharisees go wrong, I guess, from Jesus' perspective? Part of it was just by adding stuff. And get, Well, here's the thing is that these, are, these became not just suggestions or not just wise ideas, but they, became to, they came to have the weight of the Torah itself, or, or at least the Pharisees treated their traditions and their regulations as having the weight of the Torah. So if you're obeying their, their application, then, uh, then you're obeying God. If you're not, then you're disobeying God. So they put a heavy burden on people. And a few things that happened was that, well, they, they um, became arrogant about it. They became prideful about their, their spirituality or their, their obedience to God. And so the thing is that, you know, the Pharisees, they, they had a good impulse. You know, when Israel came back from exile, they were repentant. That, that exile that God had sent them into the nations to be captive by Babylon and so forth, that did its job, at least for a while, but again, with the influence of Greek culture, you know, the area where the Jews lived was Hellenized or became Greek, and that became prominent. And so they wanted to get back to God. They wanted to be faithful. They wanted the people to obey God again. But what they did was misguided because it ended up putting man-made rules and priorities ahead of what God had said. And the heart behind it, as you pointed out, Jesus really understood the heart behind what God had said. And the rules of the Pharisees did not seem to capture that underlying heart and that motivation. 
Yeah, there's a good story that illustrates this in Mark chapter 3. It says there that Jesus went into the synagogue. He noticed a man with a deformed hand, but it was a Sabbath. So Jesus' enemies were watching him closely. If he healed the man's hand, this is, this is Mark's commentary on this. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath because that was against the rules. That was technically work. So Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and, st- and stand in front of everyone. I think it's interesting, Ross, that he, he's going to put this on display. He's not going to quietly heal this guy. He, he wants to bring this to the forefront. He wants people to see this because he's, Jesus's mission wasn't just to heal people. Actually, that wasn't really core to his mission at all. His mission was to help people understand the kingdom of God and why it had come. So help people understand the, the flow of all the rules and salvation history. So, he, so this is why he says, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and he said, does the law, the Torah, permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? So it's interesting that Jesus is framing this differently. The Pharisees would have only thought of this in terms of black and white rule, keeping the rule or not keeping the rule, but he's drilling down to the heart of the matter. But the, it says that they wouldn't answer him. They, they were kind of caught. So he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Yeah, so you could see that what the heart of the, these Pharisees was, was all about just slavishly obeying the law, the d- details of the law, but, but they didn't really value what the law was intended. The law was intended to, for the people of God to thrive. The law was intended for people to have a positive experience living in the land under God's blessing. And so part of that would be people matter. And people's injuries and people who were harmed, you know, should be healed and 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 all of that. But but the fact that it fell on the Sabbath day, it shows that's the that's the heart of legalism. That it says obeying the specific detail of this command is more important than a person, or is more important than any larger or deeper considerations that might be in play under the surface. Yeah, and sometimes there are times, even when you are trying to be a law keeper, a rule keeper, that you actually don't even keep the letter of the law, right? So Jesus, a lot of times is trying to say, hey, you're missing the spirit of the law for the letter of the law. But there are also times for legalistic people who miss the letter of the law. And one example was later on in Mark chapter 7, it says that Jesus said this to the Pharisees, said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. And he gives an example. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. So that was the fifth commandment. And then another one, anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother should be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And so Jesus says this, in this way, you let those people disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. So Jesus is saying, God says this all the way back in Exodus 20, commandment number five, but you're canceling one of the big 10 in order to hand down your own tradition. So he's saying, I mean, that's even... I don't know, maybe even more stark than missing the spirit of the law for the letter of the law. He's saying you're missing the letter of the law for this new letter of the law that you've established. 
And what's interesting is that it, there seems to be he's, he seems to be getting at the motivation behind why you know you're you're the people who are supposed to be the most uh, scrupulous about keeping the law of God, and you run really run it up the flagpole and and want to make everybody salute. But he said here now here's a situation where it benefits you in some way to to keep a lesser law, and you're using that lesser law to maybe hang on to your money, to say, oh, we, we vow, I vow, make, I make a vow, I dedicate this money to God. But in reality, in practice, that meant I'm just going to keep it, so I can't give it away, because I've already, quote, given it to God, sort of, you know. And so to use this lesser law for a personal, for personal gain, and so this is the thing that legalists, legalism all, often does, is it, it really gives... There's so many laws and rules and regulations that it gives people an avenue that they can pick and choose the ones that are going to benefit them the most. And maybe that just means, oh, that makes me look good. You know, maybe it means I keep some of my resources, but maybe it just means, oh, it makes me, makes me look like I'm spiritual or like I'm super uh, religious or really obedient to God when I'm totally missing the heart and the intention and maybe even the specifics of what God has said in another place. Yeah, for for all of the knowledge that the Pharisees had of the Torah, you know, Deuteronomy, I'm sure, was one of their favorite books of the Bible. It seems like they missed some of the clear passages in the prophetic writings later on in the Old Testament that really speak to the heart of the law. And Ross, I want to I want to point out two of them. These are really this it's so helpful for I think believers, followers of Jesus, anyone who's pursuing God to understand a couple of these verses. One of them is at Jeremiah 31 in verse 33. So again, Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And the prophets came after the era of Moses and after the you know the Israelites got the, the laws given to them and the prophets oftentimes spoke in the times when the nation of Israel was sort of on the decline, and God used the prophets to remind the people, you know, that he was with them, remind the people of his promise toward them, his heart toward them. And one of the things that Jeremiah said, or God said it through Jeremiah, is this. He says, I will put my instructions deep within you, and I will write them on your hearts. So, right, so before the instructions were were on the outside, it was on these stone tablets, for starters, these Ten Commandments on these stone tablets. But this new promise says that God's going to put these instructions on your, he's going to write them on your hearts. And then Ezekiel, same thing to Ezekiel, God said, Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Russ, help us to understand what God is saying now through the prophets, and did he all of a sudden change his mind? No, what happens in the context of these prophets, these are post-exilic, that's called, which means that the people of Israel, the Jews, had, you know, and all, all the tribes, they had failed. God had, had said, I've got enough. I've had enough. You're idolatrous. You're not keeping my, my law, and so forth. And he said, I'm going to, you know, the promise of the land and the promise of prosperity in the land and success and, and, and all the agriculture and everything was, was conditional. How you're going to experience this land depends on how faithful you are to me. And God said that through Moses back in Deuteronomy, when the people first were entering the land. And so God says, okay, enough's enough. Now, after hundreds of years of putting up with all your unfaithfulness, he said, I'm sorry, I got to call in, you know, what I said. 
and he sent them out of the land. He expelled the people from the land and sent them into exile to into foreign nation captivity in, in a foreign in, in Babylon. And now this is when the the remnant is coming back again. God says, "I'm going to restore you to the land because I my promise of the land was was not you know it was it was eternal, and so I'm going to restore you now. I've done my discipline." And so, so Jeremiah and Ezekiel are, are talking in that framework. So they're trying to give hope and encouragement to these a remnant of, of Jewish believers who are coming back to the land and saying, look, God has got, got a plan for you. He's got a good plan for you. And, and this is what it involves. So I'm going to take that law. I'm going to take my instructions and my decrees. And instead of them just being external, I'm going to make them internal. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you're able to actually live this out from within, and it's going to be a completely different approach you know, than it was before. God says, I'm going to do some new things among my people, and it's setting up the coming of Jesus and the poor outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all of God's people. But he says, this is going to be, I'm not giving up on my law, he said. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you don't have to be obedient, but he said, I'm going to give you a different basis, and it's going to come from within. And so it, it's not going to just be outward appearance. It's not just going to be, you know, whoever can keep the rules that are most obvious is going to be, you know, kind of, kind of be arrogant or, or, or prideful about that. He says, it's going to come from within, and, and it's what I'm going to do within you so that there's no longer a disconnect between your inner life and what it looks like on the outside. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it in Galatians chapter 3, and it's interesting that Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was one of these guys we've been talking about. He was really persecuting the Christians in his early life. He was zealously opposed to Jesus and his followers. He thought that they were nobodies. He thought that they were um, heretics, right? because he was such a rule follower and then, of course, he met Jesus on the on the road to Damascus. He had this incredible conversion experience, and and God revealed Himself. And really, basically, God told Paul or Saul was his name at the time. He said, "You're the one who's wrong, not these fishermen and tax collectors." And so he joins. So Paul Saul joins the the early Christian movement. His name gets changed to Paul, and then he writes, you know, half of the New Testament. And here's one of the things he says. Galatians 3.10, he says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under a curse. I mean, this is this is spoken right to any legalistic person. This is spoken to him. This is what he realized. And he says this, for the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. Verse 11, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now he's referring to the Old Testament. So here's a guy who had studied the Old Testament, but he, like you said, Ross, he's probably picking and choosing. This is what we all can sometimes do to try to affirm his his what he wants to believe, what he the way he wants to live. And now he comes to faith in Jesus, and he's reading these scriptures with with all new eyes. And he and it finally comes across this passage that says it's through faith that a righteous person has life. And he says this way of faith is very different from the way of the law which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. So he's speaking to his old self. Paul's speaking to this old way of living, and now he realizes, thank the Lord, he realizes that he was wrong, he repents, he comes to Jesus, 
And, and then he says things like this, verse 13, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. That's the good news. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It's interesting. So he says, if you're depending on the law to make you yourself right, you're under a curse. And now later on, he's using the same language. He says that Jesus actually took the curse upon himself. So really, he's he did this for the Pharisees. He did this for the fishermen. He did this for everyone. So it turns out that God, that Jesus isn't opposed to the Pharisees. He's really not. He's not against the Pharisees, but the Pharisees are missing the point and the Pharisees are under a curse unless they understand this. He says in verse 14, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So there's that Holy Spirit that Ezekiel talked about. There's that inside-out transformation that the prophets of old talked about that, that Paul has finally experienced for himself. So instead of trying to keep the law and, and become good from the outside in, which no one can ever do because you'd be under a curse because you'll never be able to do it perfectly, instead of doing that, he, Paul came to Jesus, placed his faith in Jesus. He trusted in Jesus's righteousness because his own righteousness wasn't good enough. And then this transformation happens. The Holy Spirit, as promised, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. What an, what an incredible summary that Paul is giving us here. Yeah, that's really good. But it raises a question then for how Christians in, in Christian movements and denominations of can be like hypocritical Pharisees. Why? What's the driving motive? What is it that makes people want to act that way? You know, and I think I think Jesus kind of got to that when he was when he was talking to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, he spent like most of the chapter, he was he's excoriating the Pharisees, he's just reaming them. He wants something more from them. He wants something better from them. He like you said, I think he's not just writing them off. He wants them to respond and get it right. But, but what is it? I mean, he identifies, I think, in there, what is it that maybe motivates religious people, Christians even, to want to go that route and to measure? Because he's, he talks about, in Matthew 23, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Well, he touches on a couple of reasons why people want to work this way, because it feels to religious people like it's beautiful on the outside. There's an image he said, outwardly, you look like righteous people. And so there's a sense, well, I want people to think I'm righteous. I want people to think that, that I'm, you know, I've got my act together. I'm just, I've got it going on in my religion, in my faith. And so there's this sense of like, man, I, I, there's an image thing that says, I, I just want to be uh, honored by people. I want to be respected by people. And so I'm going to play this whole externally uh, motivated, externally expressed game of these rule, religious rules and regulations. That seems to me what drives it. I don't know, Brian, what do you think? What drives this in people today? Well, yeah, I think, it, I think there is just this desire to, be, to earn your righteousness. It's even almost like an American value, right? Like we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. There, there's, there's a certain kind of a person, and I admit I'm one of those people, maybe you are too, Ross, that just says, I, I don't want to be lumped in with the losers. 
Like I want to, I want to contribute. I want to contribute. I'm sure Paul, Saul, the Pharisee had this attitude until he truly met Jesus. I want to contribute. I want to work hard. I want. I don't want to ride into heaven on someone else's coattails. I want to contribute to this. There's something in in that that's like if as a parent, I want my kids to be hard workers. So in every other arena of life, I call out laziness and all these other things that that most parents can't stand in our kids or even in our in ourselves. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to your eternity, there's no other way. This is what Paul is saying in his in his writings. There's no other way to be made righteous because your righteous deeds can't just can't measure up. There's no way you can purify yourself by trying to keep the rules because we're all broken, because we're all sinners. So I think that's what what Saul realized on the road to Damascus. So over time, I think he realized, oh my goodness. In fact, he later he called himself the chief of sinners. He recognized he was the worst sinner of all because he he finally saw pride, which I think is at the root of the this Pharisaic pharisaical problem. He saw pride as the chief of all sins. He recognized that he was trying to he was trying to play God and he was he was trying to get to God on his own righteousness. And and that of course is really the only sin. <laughs> that is the only thing that is going to keep people from Jesus because because Jesus even said himself that I, I've come to call sinners, not those who who are think they're righteous. I've called to I've come to call those Mark 2:17 those who know they're sinners not those who think they're righteous. And so Pharisee he's really speaking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. And so for our listeners, as long as you think you are righteous, there's no way you're going to encounter uh, a real relationship with Jesus. But Ross, here's a question I think that that some of our listeners would rightly ask right now. They would say then why then why was the law given in the first place? Did, did God make a mistake? to give the Ten Commandments? What was the whole purpose? If, if it seems like Jesus is going to come later on in, this, in, the, in the scope of salvation history, he's going to fulfill the law, he's, you know, that the, that the law is going to be written on our hearts. So why, why not just do that in the first place? Why not just do that in Deuteronomy? Why not just write the law on our hearts in Deuteronomy? Why give the Ten Commandments? Why go through all this thing that we that we read in the Old Testament where the Jewish people just kept screwing up and breaking the law over and over and over? And then in the New Testament, and even today, like we just can't keep the law. So, so is the law wrong? Is the law bad? That's a question I think that people would have asked 2,000 years ago and that even today people are asking. Paul does express, express that. He says in Romans and in Hebrews that the law was not bad, even though we failed to obey the law. And, and he gives us a couple of, a sense of, of why. So in Galatians, Paul says that the law was like a tutor or like a school marm or, you know, kind of a babysitter that would, was leading the people of God toward the Messiah. And so he said it had its place, its role at a time to, to lead people toward the Savior. And then in another place, he makes it clear that in it's Romans chapter 3 that says nobody could be made righteous by the law, but the law has this function of showing us how badly you know, we're, we're, we sinned against God. The law has a way of showing us how much we need a different approach. 
And so that, that's part of the schoolmaster thing, or the, the, the nanny of the laws is say, okay, I'm going to let you try to do this on your own for all these years, and then um, it's going to show you how much you need the Savior, how much you need what only I can do for you. So the law has that function. It really helps us to, to come to grips with our sense of need that we can't measure up and we can't really fulfill this outward expectation. And so how much we need to have a Savior who, who has fulfilled the law and who can empower us uh, to live a different way. Okay, so then the other question is, well, then, does God even care how we live? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we just, okay, look, if, I'm really, if I really understand what you're saying, Ross, then that means that, that because of the grace of God, I can just do whatever I want. That let's throw the rule book out. And so, and a lot of Christians do this, by, quote unquote Christians do this, by the way. They just, they say, I've actually heard people say this to me, Ross, you can't, don't tell me not to sleep with my girlfriend. Don't you understand the grace of God? Don't you understand that's why Jesus died? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, no, not at all. So the the New Testament is really, it takes this interesting position. It says that the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, is no, you know, is no longer binding in a sense. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how there's ceremonial laws that are the, t- the temple laws, the, the ritual of sacrifice. Those are all fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. And how the national laws that governed the people as a nation, well, we don't live in that nation anymore. We have our own national laws in America or wherever you live. But there's the moral laws that reflect the character of God. The character of God hasn't changed. And so the New Testament takes the, the, the moral character of God and it explains how that's lived out in a relationship with Jesus filled by the Holy Spirit. And so that still matters. We don't throw that part out at all. So we're not bound by the specific provisions of the Old Testament law of Moses, and yet we want to be obedient to what the law reveals about the character of God. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, where it talks about, you know, you're saved by faith. This is, this is not from you. This is a gift of God. In, in verses 8 and 9, and then verse 10, it says, but we are created in Christ for good works, to do good works. So the the outcome of our salvation, our salvation is not by keeping any of the, the rules of the law, but the outcome of our salvation is that we are now created by God to be able to do things that, that matter, that obey Him, that, that fulfill His work in the world. And, and that doesn't happen by making detailed rules and prescriptions to govern every situation in life. It happens as we're led by the Holy Spirit. And then back to that internal thing, where the law is now written on our heart, it, it's not saying that that the, this, these laws and details of the Pharisees are written on our heart where, it's called, where we're going, like, oh, no, I just took one step too many on the Sabbath. But he's saying these underlying principles and this heart uh, of what God desires. God, God wants the Sabbath for us to rest and to, and to make us thrive because we need rest. But he wants the Sabbath in order for us to remember him on a regular basis. And so those principles then are, are built into our heart. And we live in obedience to God. It matters how we live, and, and we, it matters that we honor God, but, it, but how we do so is, is now a different approach than keeping all these rules and regulations and making up even more. Yeah, let me go back to that passage we read from Ezekiel thirty six twenty seven. Pay attention, listeners, because maybe you missed this the first time. God said this, I will put my spirit in you so that 
you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So he didn't put his spirit in us so that we could cancel, so that we could live however we want, so that we could be disobedient. He he put his spirit in us so that obedience to the heart of God comes from the inside out. It doesn't come from the outside in. And that's really the difference. You know, a Pharisee 2,000 years ago, and even today, is a person who says, I'm going to be obedient to this list of rules, whatever the list is. I'm going to be obedient to this list of rules on my own effort because I'm a good person, because I'm going to try really hard. And maybe there's a million other motivations for it, but really it's all about you being in control and you being good enough to get to God on your own effort. And this runs completely against everything God, that God's Word is teaching us. Now, again, in the old, if you read the Old Testament, you might not notice that. But as you get into the New Testament and, and you, you know, Jesus enters the scene and, and he begins to teach the real meaning of the law and the real purpose of the law and the real goal of life, right? That, that we would have life in Christ and it's, this, it's a relationship with God that that is fulfilling and full of joy that's that's really what the old testament prophets are talking about when they're speaking about putting instructions deep within you and 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 setting you up so that you can be obedient that's why paul says this in romans 6 should we keep on sinning so that god can show us more and more of his wonderful grace i mean paul asked that very question in the course of writing this this great letter to the romans he just spent five chapters explaining the gospel message that we're saved by grace. The way we talk about it at Pursue God is that first arrow that we that we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. You can't start a relationship with God by keeping the rules. You start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. But the second part, the second arrow then is now you have the ability from the inside out to honor God. Now you have the ability to live a life that, that he envisioned for you all along. And so that's what Paul is saying here. After five chapters of explaining the first arrow, now he's going to explain the second arrow. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more grace? Of course not, he says. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And that's really the, the heart of God for us. He wants us to live new lives. That doesn't mean we throw out the rules. That means that we fulfill, that we're able to live the, the spirit of the law, and, and sometimes the letter of the law as well, in, in order to really experience this new life that Jesus wanted for us all along. Amen. And that's what takes out of the picture the the biggest uh, complaint Jesus had with the Pharisees was their hypocrisy, because now there's a correspondence between outward and inward. Now the outward reflects the inward. It's not not hiding something that's on the inward. And when we're motivated the way that you're talking about, Brian, and, and living this new life from within by the power of the Holy Spirit, then much of that hypocrisy then begins to fade away, because more and more what we are on the inside is reflected on the outside. 